You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Chapter 17, verse 20, and and we'll go ahead and pray. Lord, as we dig into your word this morning, I'm, I'm so glad to be part of a church that goes verse by verse, line upon line, through your word. And sometimes uh, there's difficult passages. Sometimes there's passages that cause controversy in the church. Sometimes there's passages that just cause us to uh, roll up our sleeves and really study and, and grow. And, and it's stretching, but it's so good to, to just to hear from you and to, to understand that these verses, even the tough ones to understand, are inspired by God, breathed out by you, and are profitable for, for doctrine and, and rebuke and reproof and correction and uh, training up in all righteousness. And, and so, Lord, I just pray that your word would just go forth uh, with power today. Uh, that it would, uh, that Lord, your grace would cover me and all of my weaknesses and weaknesses as a theologian and perhaps as a communicator, Lord, just, I'm just completely reliant upon you today, uh, to teach, to teach. And so, uh, so glad that we get to hear from you this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Chapter 17, verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, if you've studied the gospels much, something you know is that the Pharisees and the Jews were looking for a physical kingdom to be established right then and right there. They wanted the Messiah to come and deliver them from the hands of the Romans. They wanted Jesus to demonstrate a political revolution. And they wanted the atom bomb of the Messiah to shock and awe the world. They wanted a political revolution. And yet as you read Isaiah chapter 53, you read about a suffering servant. You read about a man that... Within himself, there was no form or comeliness that when you look at him, you should desire him. And in Isaiah 53, there's descriptions of the Messiah that he's like a, like a, a, a dried root, you know, rather than a strong oak tree, you know, and, and we see him lowly. We see him suffering and dying in Isaiah 53. But we also see in the, in the prophecies of the Old Testament that the Messiah is going to rule and he's going to reign in might. And so there's a lot of confusion when you talk about the kingdom of God. And so the Pharisees asked here, you know, when is the kingdom of God going to happen? And and the topic of the kingdom has caused a lot of confusion. It caused a lot of confusion back then in Jesus's day, and it causes a lot of confusion today in our day. John the Baptist was confused. Remember, he was in prison and he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask Are you the one to come or should we be looking for somebody else? Because here I am in prison and word on the street is is that they're going to chop my head off. And so if you're the Messiah and you're going to establish your kingdom here, let's hurry up and get this party started. (laughs) You know, let's do this thing. The crowd that followed Jesus was confused. 
to the point at times they wanted to throw him off of a cliff, you know, and other times they were throwing a party and putting palm leaves down in front of him and, you know, just laying their clothes down on the ground. Here, walk on my cloak. You're the king. You're establishing your kingdom. And the crowd was confused. You know, Pilate even asked, if you're the king of the Jews, then why do they want to kill you? And why do they hate you so much? If you're going to set up your kingdom, the apostles, even after Jesus died and rose again and presented himself as a, a risen Lord, asked him as they walked up the Mount of Olives, they said, are you at this time going to restore the nation of Israel? You know, yeah, okay, now we finally get it. They never got it before. He's like, okay, guys, we're on our way to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed by you guys and I'm going to be delivered up and I'm going to be killed. But don't worry, I'm going to raise from the dead. And they never got that. They never, they couldn't picture that. And we're going to study that next week. Just how they never processed that in their mind. It went in, went in one ear and it went out the other that he was going to die. And when they finally got that and they're standing there with him alive and resurrected, they're like, surely this is the, this is the time where it'll be like, boom, you know, kingdom come and fire and brimstone on the Romans. And, you know, we'll be able to write our own pledge of allegiance in Israel and put the 10 commandments back in the school or, you know, finally you're, you're alive. That's what we're going to do now. Right. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times that my father has in his plans. And, and so You know, there was always confusion here, and yet Jesus had constantly shared, as he was walking around, he had constantly shared that he was the kingdom. That that it wasn't merely an, an outward, you know, land or an outward, you know, political kingdom, but that he was the heart and the soul of the kingdom. And so he tells the Pharisees that the kingdom, it's not going to be, it's not going to come with observation or with outward show. Most kingdoms do. Most kingdoms, you know, when a, when a, when it's established, you know, there's, there's great pomp, there's great circumstance. And we're going to see today that the kingdom of God is, is slowly coming about. But Jesus's point here is that it's not only a visible kingdom, but it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not a kingdom that's only across land. It's only across Israel or something like that. But it's a kingdom that's written across the hearts of man. I love that, the, you know, as, as we read this, there's a little bit of confusion in the New King James Version. But the ESV puts it this way, and I appreciate it. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. See, the King James Version says the kingdom of God is within you. And it's kind of it kind of puts a a new age tone to it. Makes you want to go out into the trees and be one with nature or something like that. And and it's better put the language puts it better uh, that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And the reason is because the king is among you. It's here, Jesus says, because I'm here. And so because there's a lot of confusion and there was even confusion when when Jesus was here, um, you know, there's a few questions that are raised. Number one is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. They're the same things. Is the kingdom present now in 2009? Or is the kingdom future? And so I've got a little chart here for you guys. And we're just going to go through some, some references. 
and, uh, and see, you know, <clears throat> present or future. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the meek, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Present or future? It's future. It's a future kingdom. Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Is that right now? No, that's a future reference to the future kingdom. Many shall recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Is that right now a present day kingdom? Are we reclining at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No, it's a future kingdom. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's a present kingdom. Then you you have Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus reveals the kingdom on a whole new level. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like wheat among the weeds. And that's a present reference to the kingdom that's going to have weeds in it. You know, the kingdom is a very attractive thing. A lot of people want to be part of the kingdom. The Pharisees wanted to be part of the kingdom. It's attractive that at times we were attracted to the religion of the kingdom. And yet when we're not attracted to the Lord of the kingdom, the king of the kingdom, then we're nothing but weeds in the, in the midst of wheat or, uh, you know, as we're going to see a little bit later, leaven in the midst of a lump, you know, and, and Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven as like a mustard seed. And that just baffled people. Really? Really? That's your great political speech here as you come as the Messiah. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a mustard seed. <laughs> What? (laughs) A tiny little seat? No, we want the kingdom of heaven is like a white stallion. And the man riding it has a spear and he will thrust it through the Roman government, you know, or whatever. It's like, yeah, I can follow a speech like that. But kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. You know, it's like, you know, you know, Jesus was saying that the kingdom of heaven is going to start out small. It's going to start out tiny. It's not a military coup that's just going to take over a nation, but it's going to start out small in the hearts of men. It's like a treasure hidden in the field. And the the idea of these are, it's a present kingdom. And we're going to get into exactly what all that means. And then, you know, he goes on to talk about a costly pearl and a dragnet. Now the dragnet is of a future kingdom or the harvest at the end of the age is of a future kingdom. Um, and then in Matthew 19, 28, when the son of man will sit in his glorious throne, talks to his disciples, you also will sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, is that a present kingdom or a future kingdom? It's a future kingdom until that day. I will drink this wine new with you in my father's kingdom, it's a future kingdom. You are not far. Remember the, the, uh, the lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus says, Uh, you know, to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the lawyer loved that the Lord answered that. And Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What he was talking about was salvation. Your heart is soft. He's telling the lawyer, you're, you're, you're in, you're on the threshold of receiving me a present kingdom of salvation. And then there's a parable of a nobleman in Luke 19 going on a long journey to obtain his kingdom. It's speaking of a future kingdom. And so what you have there is you just look at the X's is that, you know, it's a present kingdom and a future kingdom. The answer is, is it present or future? The answer is both. It's, it's present and it's future. And we're going to get into what, you know, maybe your brain just exploded out of the back of your head and don't worry, mine has and does. And we all go through those times. The other question we have to ask ourselves. So that question was, 
is it present or future? Is it here in 2009 or is it, you know, some after the second coming millennial reign? Uh, and the answer is both. And then the next question we have to ask is, is it earthly or spiritual? Is it earthly or spiritual? And you look in Matthew chapter five, verses three and five, and blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's talking about a spiritual kingdom. Those who are poor in spirit get saved because they realize how poor they are in spirit and how they need someone who's righteous and and rich in spirit to come save them. Salvation is what it's talking about. It's a spiritual kingdom. They'll go to heaven. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That's an earthly kingdom. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's a spiritual kingdom because we have victory over the demons in the spiritual realm here today. Matthew 19, 28, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall also sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's speaking of an earthly kingdom uh, that we'll see during the millennial reign of Christ. Luke 19, 11, people supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately and Jesus set them straight that it's a spiritual kingdom and that it appears in the regenerate hearts uh, of a born again man. In John chapter 18, Jesus' response to Pilate was, you know, the reason they want to kill me, the reason the Jews want to kill me is because my kingdom is not of this world. And if it's not of this world, it's not earthly alone, but it's spiritual. You know, his kingdom was not like pilots of earthly force and pride. And then finally, when you look at Acts chapter one, when you restore the king, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answered, it's not for you to know the times fixed by my father. And and he's talking about there, there will be an earthly kingdom where Israel is restored and God's promise to fulfill uh, David's throne through his seed, through Jesus, it will happen during the millennial reign. And so this is all deep theology that maybe you haven't quite gotten it. That's okay. Um, you know, we just, we just, it's a process and we're just continually learning. And, and so don't feel bad and we'll explain it a little bit more. So is it present or future? Yes. <laughs> Both. Is it earthly or spiritual? Yes. Both. Um, my friend this, this week, you know, as I, I've known this was coming and I've heard a few studies on it as, you know, I'd be, you know, working out just so, you know, I do work out. No, but that's when I listen to a lot of guys is when I'm pumping no iron whatsoever, you know, trying to do a push up, listening to a great man of God speaking to my life, you know, and, and anyways, I, I just, I was just so challenged by this passage. And, and so I just, I tried to do just as much research as I could, and I called my friend Adam, who's the, the school of ministry director over in Corvallis. He went to Multnomah Bible College, or a Bible seminary, actually. And so I was like, dude, send me your notes. I gotta, I gotta study up, you know? And so he sent me his notes, and, and uh, one of his professors of theology there at Multnomah Bible Study, he, he communicated it this way. Dr. Daniel R. Lockwood said, I prefer relating the kingdom to both the authority and the presence of the king. The kingdom is presently spiritual because Jesus has authority, but is not physically present. The kingdom is future and earthly when Jesus returns. 
He will exercise his authority over the earthly realm. And then Adam added in his email as he sent me uh, his notes, he put, it seems helpful to understand the kingdom as already, but not yet. Burka, burka, what? You know, <laughs> am I hearing skulls cracking, you know, and sorry, that's a little graphic, but you know, uh, yeah, definitely. You know, isn't the Lord so different than anybody else? You know, it's like he's so big and, and his kingdom is already, but not yet. It's already in that it's spiritual. There's a spiritual kingdom right now. Uh, and that's, and it's present in us, but it's not yet in that it's on the earth and literal and you can go visit it today. Um, that will be in the future. And then he went on to say, there are many Christian circles that go to one extreme or the other already, for instance, one extreme already. And they don't believe that Christians should get sick or that God always heals because we're in the kingdom. So you, if you're sick, then let's pray for you and you will get healed. And if you don't get healed, then there's sin in your life and you need to repent. And, and you know, a lot of times there's condemnation with that. And, and people just, they're condemned and feeling, you know, I've, I've confessed all my sins. I don't know what else. And, and uh, there's, some, there's an unbiblical uh, extreme in the already sect or the kingdom not yet extreme where it says that there will be no healing until the future kingdom. And so, you know, well, I'm sorry that you're sick, but we're not going to pray for healing because it's not the kingdom yet. There's no power here. And so I'm afraid you're just going to have to go home and get ready to die in your disease. And yet, you know, we know from the scriptures that we're to cry out for healing. And James tells us that if there's anyone sick among you, let them come to the elders and let the elders anoint them with oil and pray for their healing. Our job is to be obedient and to pray and to put that person into Jesus's hands. And sometimes Jesus chooses not to heal uh, for his glory so that he can work out something greater in that individual. You know, the, the Pharisees saw someone who was blind and asked Jesus, why is this guy blind? Because of his sin or his parents sin? And Jesus said, neither, but that God might be glorified. You know, God is glorified in the way we act when we're going through trials and tribulations. And people see us that even in our pain and our suffering and our grieving, people see us giving glory and thanks to God and walking in joy. Maybe not happiness, but walking in joy that's not based upon our circumstances. And so the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's already, even today, it's spiritual and it's present in our midst. And yet it's not literal because the king isn't uh, physically in our midst. Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says that the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's one of the amazing fruits of the kingdom of God being present spiritually today is that we are changed men and women. We've been born again, we've been made new, and we can walk in victory. We can walk in righteousness. Romans chapter 6 verse 1, we no longer have to sin, but we can be obedient. When we have joy in the midst of trials, that's part of the kingdom working out in us. When we have peace in the midst of torment, that's part of the kingdom being worked out in us. The sociologist Will Durant sums up the difference between God's kingdom and the kingdom of men by saying that Caesar 
hoped to reform men by changing institutions and laws. But Christ wished to remake institutions and lessen laws by changing men. That's the kingdom of heaven, changed men. And the more changed men there are, the more that mustard seed is growing. The more regenerate hearts there are that are being transformed by the Spirit of God, you know, the more that, that uh, the wheat field is growing and so on and so forth. And so the kingdom has come. Its powers are being exerted today. You know, righteousness is here if you receive it by faith. His Spirit is dwelling in us. His Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. His peace is ours today. We have victory over Satan by the wielding of the sword of the Spirit. He's conquered sin and death. Sin no longer has, you know, victory and death no longer has a sting. And so even though we understand today that because the, the kingdom is, is it's basically in a, in a limited form right now until finally the second coming when he sets up his kingdom on earth and it will be absolutely complete, we still can discover the measure of kingdom power that is ours today as we sell out all that we are for Jesus, as we give all of our lives over to Jesus, as we confess our sins and walk in righteousness, as we receive the the overflowing of the Holy Spirit on our lives and we walk in boldness in this world, as we listen to the still small voice of His Spirit and we're obedient to His Spirit and we're obedient to His Word, and the more and more we do that, the more and more we see the kingdom present today. And yet we will not see the literal earthly kingdom until Jesus comes back, sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. He'll come back that day in victory and destroy his enemies and set up his kingdom there in Jerusalem. The kingdom can't happen without its king. And, and so, you know, a lot of times there's just confusion as you read Luke chapter 17, verse 20. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. And, and you know, it, it's, it's not here. It's within you. And it's like, what? You know, so um, just look at the whole of Scripture and you see that it's both. Then verse 22, then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the son of man will be in his day. And so we begin to get into a section of Luke that it's very similar to the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And the Olivet Discourse, most of you know, is a, it's a deep passage on eschatology or end times. In fact, it's, it's, it actually goes much more deep in the subject than Luke's gospel does. And, and so it's, it's kind of a hard place to teach this today because Luke's gospel has, you know, that many verses about it in chapter 17 and then you get to chapter 21 and he has some more verses about it and I appreciate you know of course I appreciate Luke's gospel but I've just I've studied Matthew's gospel a whole lot more where chapter 24 and 25 it's it's two solid chapters devoted to this discourse and for me it's just a lot simpler and easy to understand and so 
because there's like a little section of it here in Luke 17. When we get to chapter 21, we're going to do a much more in-depth study on end times. We're going to go to Matthew 24 and 25, and we'll probably spend a few weeks in it. But we'll still go through the rest of this chapter today. It just won't be as in-depth as we'll go in into it in a couple weeks. So, so he says that there's going to come a day when many false Christs are going to come around. You know, and they're going to say, look here and look there. And oh, did you hear the Messiah came? You know, he's over there in John Day, you know, or he's over there in Pasadena or he's over in Madrid. Or, you know, there's a there was a guy that went around and he claimed to be the Messiah and they called him the Lord of Heaven in the 747, you know, and he'd just go around in his big jumbo jet, you know, and and proclaim to be the Messiah. And then, you know, he ended up having an affair with one of his staff people. And so his mom was angry with him and you know, denounced him as the Lord of heaven and his older brother became the Lord of heaven in the 747, you know? And so there's, it's just crazy because, you know, Jesus says in the end times, you're going to see more and more and more of this little false antichrist going around and anti means in place of Christ. They're going to be trying to take Jesus's place. And they say, you know, just don't believe it. Jesus says, you know, my kingdom can't happen yet without the king. And it says there, you know, in verse 24, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven. And man, I'm so glad to be back, you know, on this side of the mountain, you know, because in Lakeview and Klamath, we had the best lightning storms, you know, just incredible. And so it was so fun to move back. You know, Corvallis gets like one thunderbolt a year or something, you know, and so to sit up on the lookout and boom, boom, and lightning bolt starts over there and wraps across the sky and, you know. Lindsay was afraid it was going to hit our car and kill everybody, but um, it didn't, and we're still alive today. But you know what? They're, what Jesus is saying here is as powerful as a lightning bolt, and evident as a lightning bolt is in its location. So will his second coming be. You know, there's going to be no mistaking that it's the Son of God returning. You will have no doubt that the creator of the universe is making an appearance. He'll have all of the subtlety of a lightning bolt. You know, what lightning bolt is? Kapow. I'm a shy lightning bolt. I don't like attention. You know, no, it is boom. Say my name is what the lightning bolt says. And everyone does. Look, lightning, you know, and, uh, you know, and that's going to be how Jesus returns. In Acts chapter 1, you know, the disciples are hanging out with the resurrected Jesus saying, hey, now are you going to set up the kingdom? And Jesus says, hey, it's not for you to know. And then he starts floating. "Uh, Jesus, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, guys. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Starts ascending up into heaven. They're like grabbing him, holding him. You know, Peter starts getting lifted up into heaven. Okay, I'm adding things to the Bible. Don't do that. That's that's wrong. But, you know, and and they just just watch him go up. They're like... Ay, 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 ay. You know, I don't know what's going on. And then the angels came, do you remember? And they said, what are you standing here looking up into heaven for? In the same manner that Jesus went up from the Mount of Olives, so he's going to return. Every eye will see him, Matthew chapter 24 tells us. He's going to come in Zechariah chapter 14 is an incredible, dramatic chapter talking about the second coming where Jesus is going to come and he's going to be victorious and he's going to destroy the Antichrist and his army. And he's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. And as he does, the Mount of Olives is going to split. Oh man, I'm getting ahead. We're going to get there in a couple weeks, but I just can't handle it. The Mount of Olives is going to split and a giant spring of water is going to shoot up out and it's going to go to the east, to the Dead Sea, where there's 
No life in that sea. The Dead Sea, not even a bacteria can live in it. And it's 30 times saltier than the ocean. And I've been there twice. And as you go out in the Dead Sea, you just float. It's so salty, you can't sink. You can't even try to sink. You just float around. You can read a newspaper if you want to. And you don't want to get it in your mouth because it'll burn your tongue off. But... This fresh water that bursts up out of the Mount of Olives is going to shoot down and it's going to give life to the Dead Sea again that most people believe was was dead in the first place because that's where Sodom and Gomorrah was and it's just the effect of the brimstone showering down that area. And so new life is going to come from Jerusalem to that deserty, dry, arid area. And then another river is going to go west towards the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And it's dramatic and it's powerful like a lightning bolt and it's going to be awesome. You know, it's not going to be, you know, well, we, we prophesied that um, in, in 1856 that the Messiah was going to come and we were wrong. And so we re-prophesied that it would be 1918 and we were wrong. So it was 1925 and we were wrong. Yeah, that's the Jehovah's Witnesses, if you're wondering who I'm referring to. In fact, today I got on a website and I looked at all the prophecies that they said the Messiah coming back were. And I was like, holy moly, they just don't get it, do you? When Jesus says you don't know the day or the hour, it's like, just stop trying to pick it, you know? And it's funny to hear their responses like, we were sort of wrong about last year, but I'm kind of feeling like it's going to be next year. And, um, so let's put that on the calendars, guys. You know, and It's like, yeah, don't even try. When the Lord comes back, you're going to know it. And, uh, and he'll have every subtlety of a lightning bolt there. And then verse 25, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. There it is again. It's a little plug, and we're going to see it a lot more. Excuse me. <clears throat> As we come towards the end of Luke, it's like Jesus is constantly telling the disciples, we're going towards Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed and I am going to suffer. And the disciples just couldn't get it. They still were thinking that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. And so there he just lets them know just a little bit more in verse 25 and then verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the son of man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So just like in the days of Noah, just like in the days of Lot, people will be living their normal lives, not looking for his return, even when many people are out there crying to be ready because he's coming. Just like Noah was out there, you know. Everybody come get on my ark. <laughs> it's going to rain. And everyone's like, you're stupid, old man. What do you know, you know. And just like Lot was warned, get everybody and get out of get out of Sodom. Hurry, hurry. Destruction is coming. There was all the warnings and yet people wouldn't listen. They were too busy continuing on with their everyday lives. It says, as in the days of Noah, Noah's generation was marked with population growth, sexual perversions, spiritual apostasy, and you know, all of these huge problems. And if you've read Genesis chapter six, verse five, it says, that the Lord saw the wickedness, this is Noah's day, saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every thought and intent of man's heart was wicked continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, 
I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The earth also was corrupt before God in verse 11, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And man, if that is not a description of the earth in 2009, which just is not getting any better, I'll be honest with you, then I don't know what it's a description of. And so if you read on in verse 32, um, well, verse 31, in that day, he who's on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. And we'll talk about that verse later uh, when we get to, to the end of the Luke 21, rather. And then verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Lot's wife, how did she err? She erred in turning back. Remember, as they were running from the city of Sodom, you know, the angels were saying, hurry, hurry, it's going to be destroyed. Don't even look back. And Lot's wife turned and looked back because she was sorrowful to leave that city behind. It's a picture of the world and how when we come out of the world, we're not to love it anymore. In fact, I've been trying to memorize scripture more and just plant the word of God in my heart even more. And so I've, I've been getting memory cards or verse cards and writing these verses down with different color Sharpies and just sticking them all around. I found these glue dots in my wife's craft box. It's incredible. It's sticky sides on both sides. You just put it on there, sticks to anything. Anyways, stick in these verses. And the one this week was, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is out of 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of the life, they're not of the Father, but of the world. And anyone who loves the world, shoot, how's it go? Anyone who loves the world, I know the second part. <laughs> Anyone who loves the world, something about destruction, sorry, paraphrased for Rory there. And, and then, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You think after brushing my teeth with that one time a day, I'd know what it, you know, but still, uh, sorry, it was on my bathroom mirror. That's brushing my teeth. I, that's when I read it. But anyways, just Lot's wife, she's running out of the city as it's about to be destroyed and she looks back. I love the world. I love Sodom and Gomorrah and the things in the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Man, I'm going to miss that place. You know, so many scrapbooking stores that I haven't visited yet. And no, probably not the biggest stumbling block in this world. But, you know, she shouldn't have looked back. And we shouldn't look back. We shouldn't love the world. We shouldn't look back to the old ways. And Jesus uses Sodom as an example. And he uses Noah as an example. How God saved these people from a time of his wrath being poured out on the earth. And I love that, that uh, you know, Noah is a picture of the rapture. I love that um, uh, Lot and his family are a picture of the rapture. I love that Enoch who lived in the same days of Noah, it says that Enoch walked with God. 365 years walked with the Lord and was not, it says. He was raptured. He was taken to heaven. He was spared from this, this time of wrath to be poured out on the earth. Now, I do have to say that I do believe in the rapture, but the Lord's just been working in me something of, of a humble heart, uh, you know, I've, I've taught for the high school groups and camps and retreats. I've taught 
Revelation verse by verse through four times. I've taught Daniel twice, you know, I've, I've had to own Daniel chapter nine and, and, you know, and yet every time I go to teach eschatology, I'm challenged to search the scriptures afresh and anew and to own why I believe a certain stance and not to believe it just because it's a Calvary Chapel way or not to believe it because it's what Chuck Smith teaches, but because what I believe the Bible teaches. And, and this year especially has been um, just a, a season of me, I think the Lord humbling me and showing me that there's many godly men out there who love Jesus, who hold the different eschatological views, whether that's a mid-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture or whatever. And, and I've just seen and heard their hearts and, and that they love the Lord. And so I've just been really challenged to not be wise in my own opinion. And, and, you know, and so I'm going to teach you guys what I feel the word teaches, but it's not in a dogmatic way. And I hope you guys will be Bereans and search the scriptures for your own sake. But, um, but I do personally, I believe that, that, uh, you know, Noah and Lot and Enoch are pictures of the Lord taking his, his, his beloved out of the world before a time of, of destruction and his wrath being poured out on the world. And what is the tribulation in Revelation? It's seven years of God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And I believe we're the bride of Christ and that he hasn't appointed us to wrath, as First Thessalonians 4, 9 says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And, and as you look at uh, the, the church in Philadelphia in, in Revelation chapter 3, you see that Jesus is telling this faithful church that if you continue to be faithful to me, I will keep you from this hour of trial which will come upon the whole earth. And so, uh, you know, I just see, remember Lot's wife. You know, we know that it's, you know, whether you're, you know, you believe the rapture is going to, you know, there's not a rapture and there's just a second coming or whatever, whatever you believe, you know that it's coming soon. You know that Jesus is coming soon. The signs point to it and we need to be ready. We shouldn't be looking back to the world. And I personally believe in an imminent return of Christ that we don't know when he's going to come, but we can look at the signs and say, it's going to be soon. And I want my life to be holy and pure that I might not be ashamed at his coming, loving the world and the things of the world. And so if you look in verse 34 through 36, I tell you in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other will be left. You know, this is a section of the scriptures that has done a work on my brain. (laughs) You know, I'll read it one time and I'm like, it's talking about the rapture, you know, and then I'll read it another time. I'll be like, no, it's talking about, you know, at the second coming being, you know, people being kind of raptured to Jerusalem to be judged, the sheep and the goats judgment. And I'll tell you, every time I teach, I'm like, I wrestle and I have to, now why do I think it's this? And why do I think it's that? And there are many great men that hold a different point than me, even Calvary pastors that, that I'm like, man, I just don't see it as that. And I might have a lot to grow in that and whatever. I'm not perfect, but I personally uh, lean to this being a description of the rapture of the church. Now, Matthew's gospel, we're going to study it in a little while. It, it, 
kind of circle to me, it circles back. It starts talking about the second coming at the end of the tribulation. And then to me, it circles back and starts talking about the beginning of the day of the Lord, which, which means all end times, all end times is called the day of the Lord. And to me, it goes back and kind of says, and this is how it's going to begin. And it, cause it talks about Israel, the fig tree and how, you know, it's a, it's a sign. And when it's, when it's come back, it's become a nation again, get ready and watch because you know, this generation that's seen Israel come back won't pass away before the day of the Lord. And so then it starts, to, then it goes right from that into this section about one, you know, one man being taken, another woman being taken and, and a rapture-esque type experience. And so I tend to believe that it's, it's speaking of the rapture of the church, the beginning of the tribulation, the beginning of the day of the Lord marked by the rapture of the church. One of the reasons I don't believe that this is talking about, um, kind of a whisking away for judgment, the sheep and the goats judgment, is because Matthew chapter 25 verse 32 tells us that all the nations will be gathered together before the Lord during the second coming. And so to say that, you know, that this other person is not part of all nations or that other person is not part of all nations, but it's only one person. No, it's it's everybody's taken to Jerusalem for this judgment. The good people who are called the sheep, not good people, but those who are righteous in the Lord's eyes because of what he's done, they're sheep. And then the the bad folks, they're the goats and they're all taken there. And so I don't think it's um, personally good exegesis uh, to say that that it's. A taking away for judgment, but some of my favorite Bible teachers do. So I'm just your pastor and I've been studying it and that's how I've been feeling and I could be wrong. I'm not dogmatic on it. So hopefully you guys search the scriptures on your own. Um, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I really have been, been trying to not just be a Calvary guy, but to be a Bible guy. And so I hope you can appreciate that about me. And, um, and so I, I was watching a debate this week. It's a two-hour debate on John Piper's website, desiringgod.org. And uh, John Piper has uh, four guys, himself included, that all have different points on eschatology. It's called a night of eschatology. And I only made it 40 minutes into it because for the first 40 minutes, all they did was like, we're all friends here, okay, you know? And, and for like 40 minutes, they're like, yeah, we're all buddies, okay. Come on, let's start throwing some punches, you know? Anyways, uh, and one of the guys... The guy, that was con- the guy that was confusing everybody. But one of the guys up on the panel said, you know, it's funny when we start talking end times in the millennium, the millennium is a thousand years of peace. And yet God's children usually use the topic of the millennium as a springboard for a great boxing match. You know, we just, we just want to fight about it. No, the millennium, you know, and it's good to have dialogue. It's good to talk about it. But man, we need to love one another. You know, the Lord cares much more if we're loving one another than if we win a theological debate. So I'll tell you what I'm really growing. I used to be very prideful and make jokes. Oh, you don't believe in the rapture? Well, I'll prove it to you when we're being raptured and I'll shove it in your face. You know, and it's like, yeah, that's Jesus's heart. But um, you guys still here? You're like, all I see is a really tall guy just with his mouth moving. Nothing's coming out. Um, Well, don't worry. We're on the last verse of the chapter. So Um, verse 37, and they answered and said to him, where Lord, where Lord? And he said to them, wherever the body is there, the eagles will be gathered together. So kind of an old proverb here, eagles and vultures. It's a word that's interchangeable. And it's just a reference to the tribulational judgment. As you read about the judgments and specifically the Armageddon judgment, uh, 
man, it is not going to be pretty. And, and there's a call to all of the birds of the air to come and take their fill of flesh uh, from all the bodies that are going to be killed during this tribulation period. And so um, definitely, you know, it's, it's a time of God's wrath being poured out on the earth. It's a time that, that, that the earth has never seen before. The worst thing that the earth has ever seen will be this seven-year judgment period. And Matthew's gospel tells us, unless the Lord would have had mercy and come back in seven years of this tribulation, no flesh on the earth would live through it. It's that bad. And we're going to study it someday, a little bit in some weeks to come. But, um, you know, I love that a verse I believe is talking about the rapture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you'll flip there, that'd be awesome. Now, as you're flipping there, I want to just distinguish between two events. There's, <coughs> there's the rapture of the church and there's the second coming. And they're two different events. And, and we tend to, to, to think... When Jesus comes again, you know, we, or the second coming, we tend to think that's the rapture, but it's not. It's, there's two separate events. There's the rapture, which is the church meeting Jesus in the air, in the clouds, and then going away for a seven-year, what they call honeymoon period in heaven before we come back with him in the second coming. So the rapture of the church the church goes and meets Jesus in the air. But in the second coming that you read about in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus comes and sets his feet on the earth on the Mount of Olives. Okay, And that's the Zechariah 14 passage too, that, that major geographical, topographical change there in Jerusalem. And so First um, Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. And so that word caught up in the Greek, it's the word harpazu to snatch away by a force. And in the Latin, it's the word raptus. Or, or rapture is the English translation of that. And so do I believe that we'll be raptured? Yes, I believe we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And there's comfort in that. There's such comfort in that. There's no comfort to me in telling somebody, there, there, little fella, we're going to go through seven years of hell on earth like the world has never seen and demonic things are going to come up out of the ground and try and get you in your house, you know, and, and the, you know, the stars are going to fall out of the sky and pummel you like a biggest hailstorm you've ever seen. And in fact, there's going to be a hailstorm with 150 pound hailstones and they're going to kill you in you know, seven years. Good luck. I mean, ooh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that comforting, you know, but, but what comfort in that, man, we're the bride of Christ and he has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we're going to end there this morning. And like I say, it's a, it's a long, you know, I think it took close to a year and a half for me to teach through Revelation verse by verse. You know, it took about nine months for me to teach Daniel, you know, so to try and brah, here's eschatology 101 and just, you know. 
enjoy that. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it just takes time. It takes patience. It takes grace with one another. And, um, and I'm, you know, it's exciting to me. Uh, it's definitely an exciting topic. And so let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Lord, this morning as we just, just dive into this section, have, have dove into this section about your kingdom. Lord, we just, we want to remember who our king is. He's a king who came and died. He came and died for us. He came to change men, not to establish a government that, that could keep men in control, but he came to change men, to save men from themselves. And Lord, where our minds are maybe going a, a million miles an hour right now, or there's confusion, Lord, one thing we just want right now is, is to be part of your kingdom. And Lord, we don't want to be the weeds that are in with the wheat. We don't want to be the leaven with the lump, Lord. And Lord, today as your dragnet, as you say your kingdom is like a dragnet, dragging the sea, attracting so many fish to it. Lord, you say that when you pull that dragnet up out of the sea, there's going to be fish in that net that are going to be cast away. Bad fish. And Lord, I pray that if there's any of us in this room that we're attracted to the religion and the outward appearance, but we have no love for the king and the king doesn't even know us. That Lord, that warning is so in our heads today, Lord, that, Lord, that you say to that person, away from me, I never knew you. Oh, but Lord, I prophesied in your name or I healed in your names. I never knew you, he says. And Lord, we don't want to just, we don't want to be part of the signs and wonders without obeying your word. And we don't want to be part of the prophesying in your name without loving your purity. And Lord, we don't want to be part of the kingdom without loving the king. And so today, Lord, I just pray that you would add, add names to your kingdom. And maybe you're here today and you've just never you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never received his salvation that he offers so freely, the forgiveness of sins. You've never bowed the knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Man, I just plead with you today to not let this day go by, to not let this minute go by without bowing the knee of your heart to Jesus. And saying, Lord, I want you to change this man. I want you to change this woman in the inner part, Lord. Take away my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising from the dead. I want to be part of your kingdom here on earth. And I want to be part of your kingdom in the future. The kingdom of heaven. And if you just pray that prayer the best way in your heart, and you're part of the kingdom today. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.